In August 2015, Gary Newman and Dana Walden, co-chairs and CEOs at Fox, met with journalists to discuss the upcoming Prison Break reboot. When questioned about the reasoning behind rebooting this particular show, Walden remarked that people are still interested in these characters. And she was right. Prison Break remains one of the most successful library shows on Netflix. What is it about these properties that make them so ripe for being remade? A cynic might argue that it's the result of a tired system relying on fond nostalgia to gather as much cash as possible from a sinking ship. But what if it were something more? What if there was some intangible quality that couldn't be quantified? This show is about the search for that essence. This is still interested for Curio. still interested. It's a TV and film reboot remake podcast for Curio. Also, there's Pinterest tips. Like if you're trying to figure out how to get your Pinterest blog ahead, you can listen to us. We'll tell you all about it. You know, we've got a lot of tips and tricks to give you. So uh, <laughs> in addition to talking about movies and, and TVs and films that have been you know, rebooted and remade, we'll also tell you a little bit about social media. Thank you for joining us. My name is Ben McAllister. And I'm Pinterest Steve. I made Pinterest <laughs> and I got rich off it. And you yeah. can too. It's kind of bold actually to like <laughs> name an art room. So. Yeah, it's also convenient that my name was Pinterest. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's like the guy that, named, that created Google. Like, yeah, right. Oh, just like convenient, really. <laughs> it's like a, a the boy named Sue vibe, you yeah. know, kind of thing. Or it's like my parents called me Pinterest because they knew that it would yeah. make me do great things. And my name is Google. How do you do? <laughs> As he punches his dad. How do you Google? Yeah. Hey. Uh, uh, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast within yeah. a podcast yeah. about Pinterest. But of course, this is still interested. And I'm Ben McAllister. And I'm actually Jackson Newsom. Oh, we got you, though. You've uh, stumbled onto a special uh, goof-heavy episode yeah. of Silinterested. As opposed to our usual fully serious vibe. Yeah, there's never been a single mistake on this podcast. No. Uh, as of yet. Well, we record it live. Yeah. And, you know, for a audience, captive audience. They're usually very quiet. And they're always very captive. Yeah, I mean, we keep them in cages. Yeah. We don't feed them. That might be why they're quiet. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> oh, God. We've just watched a movie, Jackson. We have, indeed. The oldest movie we've watched on this show. Dude, the oldest movie ever made. Probably the first movie. Possibly. <laughs> it might be the first movie ever made. Yeah. You know? And on the eighth day, God made the 1950 film Cinderella. Yes, there you go. Spoilers. Yeah. Ah. But we are, of course, talking about Cinderella, the mm. 1950 Disney film. Directed by, and bear, bear with me, oh. Clyde Geronimi, Hamilton Lusk. And Wilfred Jackson. Dude, people do not have names like that I anymore. Know. Those Bring are me back. F- oh, yeah. You know, hashtag take me back. I feel like it'd be hard to call a child Hamilton these days. Yeah. Like, people would be kind of like, mm, all right. I bet there'll be a lot, dude. Oh, I guarantee you there will in, be, but, like, it's going to be one of those, like, you know. In two, three years, there's going to be a lot of Hamiltons. But, like, I'm talking, like, your Clydes and, and your Wilfreds. Like, when did you last meet a Wilfred? I'm, I've, I've never met a Wilfred, mm. so. Really? You need to meet more people, dude. It's a pretty common name. <laughs> well, say like one in five people is. I feel like Fred isn't even very common these days either. <laughs> like, I, I know, like, I know uh, a mess of Wills, but like, yeah. never really any Freds, and certainly never any Clydes. Now, Clyde, I'll grant you, but he was soiled by the Pac-Man ghost. Yeah, you know, no one can call their kid Clyde anymore because one of the Pac-Man ghosts is called Clyde. Right, and that was the eighties, you know, and like since yeah. then the yeah. name hasn't really been popular. 
Also horses. Clydesdales? Clydesdales. No one wants to think their kid's like a horse. That's very true. That's why kids aren't called Bronco anymore, either. (laughs) Do children call Bronco back Yeah, there used to be like dozens of Broncos every year. I guess that's what happened to Black Beauty as well. Mm. (laughs) And Seabiscuit. Yeah. (laughs) This is my son, Seabiscuit. Yeah. It's a little ghost, yeah. a little cliche. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, all right, yeah, a little played out. Anyway, Jesus. Of my aunt Farlap. So where where stop? I'm sorry, Ben. I'm going to tell you the podcast very quickly. What is the reason behind absurd horse names? Is it just because there are so many horses, so many names that they just like got a little silly one day? Or well, that's a good question because there are certainly more people than horses, right? Although, actually, come to think, of it, I'm on. not sure that's true. Are there more people quick, than horses? Google for the specific <laughs> numbers. <laughs> now, do you think how many do are you think there? It is a strategic decision by the government. Like, like, do they are they up to date on the exact number of horses? Like, is there a horse census, and is it a priority for the government? Yeah, I'm sure they keep pretty oh, close tabs if, on it. Okay, okay, yeah. I've got. The data's in. Dude, I've got an exact number. (laughs) Dude, if technology goes down, the amount of horses in the world is going to be very pertinent information. Horsetalk.co.nz is quoted. This is a 2006 report, so we can only assume it's gone up. (laughs) 58,372,106. That they got that granular with the dude to the horse. That's Man. the estimate for the world's number of horses. So only fifty-eight million. Yeah. Man. So like in a world in which like for some reason we can't say we can, say something happens to all technology, electricity is gone or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Like there won't be enough. We're gonna have a horse scarcity, dude. Yeah, that's true. A horsity. Yeah. Maybe that's why they're so valuable. Anyway, I think it might also <laughs> have something to do with the fact that you can't truly like. You know, like, Patrick Rothfuss has taught me that, like, naming is a difficult art. And so, like, trying to encapsulate, like, a horse's essence using our, like, limited human language, you run into lots of trouble. And that's why, like, we get these weird, like, cross-translations, you know? Right. I think, I think that's why they have... So, as in, do you think they name them in, in, they name them in horse language and then translate them out (laughs) of it and that's why they get all goofed up? I don't think you get into horses unless you have a gift for like intrinsic naming. So they probably don't they don't they don't realize that they're naming them in horse language, but like when you call a horse Farlap, that's just like you've looked into that yeah, horse's soul. That's Dave and horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dude, here this we is are. better than a podcast. No, that's, yeah, <laughs> fuck this podcast, because honestly. Uh, no. What we're doing, Jackson, is we're stalling for time and we're adding extra content, which I think is pretty reminiscent of the movie we're about to discuss. <laughs> oh, and Jesus. we'll we'll get on to that. So shall we start? Yeah, let's just dive in. Shall First we? note that I've got here. Oh, who directed the movie? You already said. Uh, yeah, all, all three. Yeah. <laughs> three directors. <laughs> on this one. Mm. Do you think they did like 25 minutes each? <laughs> <laughs> I, was, dude, I guarantee it was in shifts. Yeah, dude, like, considering... Clyde had Monday to Thursday, <laughs> like, as in like Monday and Thursday... Hamilton used to come in. I was like, say, ha- Hamilton would come in Tuesday, Wednesday, like just like smash yeah. it out. And then Wilfred was like a like a Friday, like once a week. He was like the yeah. real specialist. You know? He was the party boy. Well, no, he he came in and fixed up the other two shit, which is why right. like there are moments of interest, and then it's just like animals doing things. Yeah, it's also important to note that this is a seventy-five minute movie or seventy-four actually. Yeah, it's in addition to being the oldest, it's also the shortest movie we've ever done. Yeah, on this show. it's a seventy-five minute film and a seventy-seven. 67-year-old 67 67 year movie. 
So there you go. Uh, so, first note I've got. Opening titles. They just don't make them the same today. Oh, beautiful, 60, dude. 60, 70s on that, My first thing, beautiful music, beautiful title cards. It's all these, like, well, I don't know about beautiful music. It's all these hand-drawn title cards. The music like, at the very beginning... I thought it was kind of nice. Kind of spooky. It's kind of nice, but it's so old-timey. It's that it really old-timey old singing where it's like, Cinderella, your name is Cinderella. Oh, yes. Cinderella. I would I would remove the vocals. But like, yeah, okay, the, yeah, the music yeah. itself is fine, but it's this really like these old-timey dudes who are like, Oh, Cinderella. <laughs> and right out the gate, in this very song, with this opening title scene, we're getting my first title pitch, dude. The Kingdom of Romance. One of the things said in this song where it's like, oh, Cinderella, if you go to the dance, you'll end up in the kingdom of romance or something, wow. something along so those really lines. So really spelling out the plot of the film yeah, in the opening minute. maybe. I might have added that dance part. I just noted down the, the, the phrase, the kingdom of romance. Yeah, fair enough. Someone said in this, in this song, and I like that a lot. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good description Seems of the movie. pertinent, yeah. Yeah, because it's about a king and a prince and a, a romance for the ages, mm. if I will. So we roll out of this into, is it? It's is it a live action book? I don't think it was live action. I know what you mean though. It, it, it essentially looks kind of live, but I think it was cartoon. Yeah, and this is one of the issues I have with this film in terms of the art style. Sometimes there are shifts which make it like quite jarring. The other thing I've noted here, like the existence of this book and the fact that it opens and we zoom in on these like cartoony things, like there is a frame narrative. Yeah. There is an implicit frame narrative in this thing. And, like, I want to know more about this world. What time period yeah. are they reading this book in? I guess it's 1950. Who's reading it? Who's the narrator? She has, like, ten lines at the start of the movie, and then we don't hear from her again. Don't even hear her at the end, like, yeah. What is, no, yeah, no. not even, like, over the end. Yeah, there's, like, one line of, like, written on-screen text at the end. Like, there is literally, like, this movie takes place inside a world mm. that, like, I just want to know more about. Yeah. And I hope we get more of that in the remake. Well, but yeah, we'll see. We're straight into an exposition monologue. So, it's just a lot of stuff. Basically, uh, we get to meet Cinderella. She's a lovely girl with a lo- lovely dad who happens to be and a widow. Very rich. Very, very rich. They seem to be, you know, like, nice, noble people, I guess. Who knows? Mm. Um, and then, in order to give Cinderella a mother, this dude's like, well, I'll marry this lady with her two, like, um, daughters. Uh, we'll all be a big family. They'll be your stepsisters. The dude carks it. And then the stepmother reveals her evil agenda. The evil stepmother and the evil stepsisters. She, uh, you know, basically they go through. They literally say, like, Cinderella is abused and then forced to become a servant in her own home. Consider the fact that this movie, this entire movie, spans maybe 36 hours. Let's be generous. Yeah. They sum up years, years of abuse... In, like, 13 seconds flat. This is true. That's maybe a more interesting story. Like, yeah. more, more like relevant narrative fodder than what goes on in the actual film. But, if there's one thing we've learned from the Brendan Fraser Mummy movie, it's that an exposition monologue is highly remakeable. This is very true. So, you know, I wonder if we'll get that. I kind of expect that we might. I, w- I would say we might. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be like, in the Magic Kingdom, Cinderella yeah. was born and <laughs> once upon a time. Something like that. So, in this uh, exposition, we get set up the, I guess, the home estate of uh, Cinderella's family. I guess the House Trem- Tremaine. House yeah. Tremaine. We, we sort of find out, like, way later on the family name. <laughs> um, like, names? It- this movie's not good about names. No, it's not. We then also get to see uh, Cinderella being awoken 
by two sweet little animal friends, two little birds. Yeah, dude. And we learn that Cinderella actually has the magical, innate ability to commune with nature and animals. Dude, she just talks to animals so much. She talks to mice. She talks to birds. She's talking to dogs and cats. She just, like, seems to have some fucking magic fucking power. She wakes up. She's just like, oh, hello, birds. I had a dream. They're like... Hmm? What dream? Yeah. And she won't tell them. These animals... Yeah, so she talks about how, like, uh, you can't uh, t- t- you can't explain a wish to someone because they don't come true, and that dreams are wishes you make when your heart's asleep. Uh, a dr- no, when you're asleep, a dream is a wish your heart makes. That's it. That's it. That's just like, man, I love the idea that a dream is a wish that your heart makes. Because yeah. that implies to me that last night my heart was wishing that I'd be in the lab and my laptop would melt, <laughs> and then I'd go in the fridge to get my lunch and it would be elephant meat. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I mean, I think you do wish that last one. <laughs> I mean, that's horrifying. It's a king's meat. It's true. It might be for kings yeah. and, and, and noblemen, but I wouldn't need an elephant. They're, they're too smart, man. I don't, I don't need anything that can paint. Speaking of... Oh, God. Speaking of uh, being too smart, we get to meet a lot of these playful animal friends, which, firstly, I will say, highly remakeable. Dude, cute animals. Very cute. Yeah. And... Also, animals that seem to have some degree of sentience and personality. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, they really, like... I, I get, like, I get to start when I was like, oh, she's talking to the birds. Okay, she's talking to, like, these couple of mice that live in her room. And then we meet these other random mouse. And I'm like, can all of the animals talk in this world? Or is it just Cinderella that can talk to them? I don't know. Yeah. It's also hard to say because people do hear the other animals. Like, as in, like, they certainly hear them make sound, they don't really mm, respond to them. They don't them. hear the words. But, like... It's also not clear, like, when they're speaking English versus when they're not. Yeah. Because, like, it's, sometimes you can understand what they're saying, and then other times it's, like, garbled together, like, fucking Ewok talk mm. kind of thing. We also get here, um, first signs, now that we see a human being talking, that the animation here is a little bit slow, yeah. and thus making everything have a really weird whole, un- like, uncanny valley vibe. Yeah. Where the humans yeah. are kind of... Deeply disconcerting. Yeah, the eyes are fucked, and the the mouth sink is not great. But the colours are really vivid. I can only imagine it's been retouched in the, like, years. Years, But, like, it it looks pretty good. If you do look at the mouth, you're going to have a very bad time. Yeah, this movie kind of conditions you to not look at the mouth. Yeah, you 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 can't stare at the centre of the screen. You've got to kind of, like, just eyeball away. in in the corner. But, as a result, you get to see a lot of whimsical shit. So, dude, let's blow through this scene very quickly. She gets up, she sings this song about dreams and how they're wishes that your heart makes. Very she's cr- getting dressed, she's showering, all the animals are helping. Yeah, okay, now the animals are helping. Yep. Um, very quickly, she's singing, and in real life, all the songs in this uh, film seem to be like people are just bursting into song. That whole thing we talked about like before, like the whole music theater kayfabe, doesn't really seem to be here. No. Because people hear them and respond. That's true. At least... Some of the time, right? Yeah. But it's like, it, it's it's not all the time. Yeah. Like, no one, like, hears really in response to this, other than, like, the animals that are involved in the song. That's true. But and later maybe on, yeah. like, there's, yeah, bits and pieces of it. I know what you mean, though, about the, like, it's not clear when people are actually singing and when they're not. And I have here, uh, MT Bangers? Highly remakeable. I would anticipate we get to see some in the new film. I would hope so. I mean, yeah. Hilary Duff, you know, she's got some pipes. Yeah. Yeah. Is she in the... I think she's Cinderella. Now, are you thinking of, like, a Cinderella story or something like that? I probably I'm am. I'm pretty sure... Isn't it, like, Lily Hang James? On. My mistake, it is, of course, Lily James. Yes, the wonderful. But anyway. The oh. wonderful. Lily James, the wonderful, mm-hmm. as she's known throughout yeah, the land. Yeah, that's title. That's what she's always been known as. But yes, no. There'll be, there'll be some songs, I- I'm mm. sure. I'd be disappointed if there weren't. One thing I've noted here. We see Cinderella's feet as she's putting on her shoes. No toes. No defined toes. 
Interesting mm. animation choice, seeing as her stepsisters all have toes, and later in the movie she has toes. Yeah. I can introduce a new segment on the show, which is called The Mighty Goofs. Oh. The idea is that I troll IMDb for the goof category. Man, we should, uh, we should just have a, a personal commendation from IMDb. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, we are just like, I'm, I'm sure they have some sort of AdSense on there, and we are just giving them dollars week after week. That's true. One of the things about IMDb, man, I'm not sure if you know, like, what well, it's obviously, a lot of it is community-driven, like, yeah. people, like, adding stuff to it. There is some... Things about IMDb that need to be discussed. And at least some of them I'm going to address later in doing, like, the goof research for this movie. Some things I came across. Like, people, like, put some weird shit oh, in IMDb. No. And, like, apparently, if you go through... Because there's, like, I don't know if you've ever seen it. The section on IMDb that's, like, Parents Guide. Where, like, everything that happens in the oh, movie is broken down by, like, no. sex and nudity, violence and gore, drug use and blah, blah, blah. And then, like, paranormal vibes. And it's all, like, everything will be broken down. But it's some of the community... As a result, IMDb is apparently probably the most, like, comprehensive fetish database on the internet. Okay. Because you can just, like, go, yeah, like, search no, no, for, like... That makes sense. Yeah, like, words of different sexual stuff, and, like, the parental guides have, like... Yeah. There's a scene where a guy licks a foot, and it's like, oh, cool, and you get, you know, every movie where a guy licks a foot, like, shows up oh, kind of thing. Like, man, community-driven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But also from, like, a parent's guide being like, no, hang on, I do want to introduce my kids to foot stuff now, yeah. just so like, they're aware of it. <laughs> so I'll ease them in with these few films, yeah. but I'm not going to touch on this topic foot stuff highly relevant in this movie mm. we'll come back to that I'm sure anyway so back to the mighty goofs mm. uh, one of the first goofs that's noted in this film is that of course Cinderella has no toes until right at the end when uh, she puts on spoiler spoiler the glass slipper and the prince is like oh you're Cinderella and therefore we must be married you see her toes there never until that she's point she's got those uh, feet of requirement you know yeah. <laughs> nice doesn't have the toes until she really needs them <laughs> Um, so, so, uh, we get this song, she's singing away, she has this army of animals just sort of, like, sorting herself out, and then this clock booms, and she screams, Oh, that clock! After this song, one of her little mouse cronies, who is named Jack, not that Mm -hmm. we ever get that in the movie, um, is like, hey, uh, there's a mouse stuck in a trap, and she's like, oh no. So she goes down to this little mouse trap, and there she meets Gus. Which is a little fat mouse that she names Gus. She actually calls him Octavius. Gus for short. Augustus, Octavius, I guess is the vibe there. Yeah, I suppose so. Some like ancient Rome shit going on. Yeah, nice dude, I love it. My thing is here is that like the film paints it being like she has so much work to do. And yet early on, we see that she has the ability to command this army of animals to at least help her work through some stuff. We also have earlier, once she has rescued Gus, Mm -hmm. the other mice start telling him, like, all this horrible lore and stories and fear in regard to the cat, who we later found out to be called Lucifer. Yeah, we'll come back to that. Now, is Cinderella, like rescuing, in inverted commas, these prisoners, these mice, and then, like, conditioning them to, like, a life of fear unless they fall into line with her you know, personal dude, that, regime. That makes sense with some things that I noted yeah. a little bit later. Because, like, yeah, she really does, like, she gets them all on side, they're all her friends, and the, the Jack guy's like, hey, that's Cinderella, she's nice, really nice, you should help us, help her! And yeah. then they, like, bring him, they give him, like, a little shirt and And they're all doing shoes. all this nice stuff, but they all have a uniform, and they all fall into line, and they're all like, Cinderella, we had to help and be with her, because it's safe with her, it's dangerous out there. And we sort of see throughout the film that maybe the things they're so afraid of aren't necessarily as terrifying 
as they assume they are. It's true. And we sort of have this vibe going it's where, like... proletariat, like, yeah. ruling class vibe going on. You know, it's interesting, Jackson. Mm. I'm going to start writing my essay, A Classist Manifesto on Cinderella. I, I mean, hey, I, mean, <clears> I, I guarantee you, you could. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised if I'm the first. Yeah. Um, so, Cinderella, basically, she gets about her chores for the day because, of course, she's now a servant in her house to her stepmother and her stepsisters. Mm-hmm. And, man, literally, like... This is a 74-minute movie. We end up being, like, 12 minutes into the movie, and literally the only thing that's been on screen is different cute animals that Cinderella's hanging out with. Like, she goes down to the, like, like, no laundry, and there's, like, oh, she wakes up the cat, Lucifer. She goes and wakes up the dog, Bruno, who's having a very... I love Bruno as a name for a dog. Bruno's having a nice dream. I wonder what his heart is wishing for. Yeah. Uh, Now, the fact that the cat is named Lucifer, I kind of feel like this needs to be addressed, because, like, when you name a cat Lucifer... Yeah, and it's not her cat, it's her stepmother's cat. What do you expect the cat to be like? Like, presumably the cat was given this name at birth was it like an evil kitten because like they've literally named the cat satan yeah they've just been like oh you're you're the devil cat and then like when it grows up to be kind of a dick like surely like you can't like name a child hitler and then be surprised when like he grows up to be kind of a dick but it's like i think it's all part of the plan for the evil lady tremaine like, because, like, this cat, like, just chills with her all day, mm. and, like, like the first task that um, uh, Cinderella has to do every day is sort the food out for young Mr. Lucifer. And yep. so, like, it seems to me that, like, this evil stepmother is literally cultivating an image of evil and thus has a familiar called Lucifer. The other thing about Lucifer, I kind of feel bad for him. I feel like, bad for him as well, He's dude. kind of a dick, but I don't know if he deserves to be compared to Satan. And at this point, I've noted down, you would be forgiven for thinking that the mice were the fucking primary protagonists oh of this movie would. because we are like 15 minutes in and we've seen nothing but Cinderella waking up getting dressed and a bunch of mice and now he's, she's feeding a cat and there's a bunch of mice at this point here I wrote first note somewhat slow moving yeah. <laughs> which I will return to later on it's a 75 minute movie oh, and we're 20% of the way God. into it we don't have any more time to spend with these fucking mice I also had here like as, as a point of like just like an extra note not sure how I feel about that whole remakeable cute animals thing, and I'm yep. kind of already over it. Yep. But now, don't worry if you thought we'd have too many animals, now the movie shifts focus to the fucking mice! We're back in the laundry. The mice are deciding that they need to do something, we're not exactly They're clear on what it is. Food, right? Yeah, and so right. one of them, uh, they, they basically essentially pull straws by like wrapping their tails around each other, yep. and then Jack Picking picks. a random one. Uh, Jack is going to run across like the floor torment this cat by yeah, like dude. and Lucifer's just there chilling like eating enjoying his cream. The, yeah eat, eating his cream uh, and then Jack's gonna like harass him and then hide in like a little hidey hole so, so the other mice can go get some food this is what I want why know. Cinderella doesn't just feed them yeah herself? exactly right what is this environment of fear she is cultivating she's literally these like, mice? she's like oh yeah I'll feed you mice and keep you all safe I mean, first you have to pass a gauntlet of terrors. Yeah. Of course you I know. wish there was any other way. Of course you have to go through the gauntlet of terrors. Yeah. I'll put, she, she literally puts the cat there. Yes. She puts the She's cat's She's introducing the, co- the, the... The idea of fear and death is ever-present whenever these mice are not next to Cinderella. Dude, the cat... The cat was not in the laundry eating cream until Cinderella put it there. Mm. She put the cat there eating the cream. And then she went outside to feed the horses where she also has the food that she later gives to the mice. Exactly. The chickens, I guess, she's but anyway, it doesn't matter. It's like she literally makes them go through a fucking gauntlet of death. But the other weird thing that's fucked up about it is the way the mice decide to deal with that. Rather than sneaking past the cat, 
which you'd show Jack gets up to Lucifer really easily. He gets around behind him. He's just standing right next to him. They could have just walked past him. Easily. Because he's just chilling in his cream. They decide to just fucking attack him for no reason. We basically have Gus being very, very greedy. There's some wrestling with some chickens. He grabs a whole bunch of, let's say it's corn, because otherwise mm-hmm. it's kind of horrifying that she's feeding that to chickens. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it feels weird that chickens would be eating cheese. But a corn makes sense. Um, and then Gus is just being a greedy fuck. One of the mice drops their bit of corn. Now, Gus insists on picking it up and then just makes a mess of corn over the place and then incites Lucifer into like following his primal instincts, chasing down that mouse. Now, let me try and turn you around on Gus here. I will acknowledge that his attempt to pick up that last morsel is in error, but... I actually nominated Gus for MVP for this scene Mm -hmm. because he's the new mouse on the block and he's like, are you kidding me? We have to go through this gauntlet of pain and torture to get food? Why are you all only taking two bits? Let's take a lot of it and then we don't have to come back and do it all again tomorrow. Let me take fucking ten pieces of corn if I can. And he's running back there like, you fucking idiots, you've all only got two bits of corn. And then one of them drops one of his two pieces of corn and he's like, you just did all that for one piece of corn. And he goes and tries to get the other bit of corn. And like, he drops him because he's only one man. <laughs> But I, I thought he has these, the most sense in his head at this point. Like, he's just shut up. This is his first time I think the he's, I do agree. I think he's sort of an idealist. Yeah. I think he should have realized that nine pieces of corn was enough and that he could teach these other mice about it. That's true. And, That's like, true. teach him but the, at least, the gospel of Gus. At least he has enough sense in his head to see things for the way they are. The chicken pen is also horrifying. Yeah. The chickens are pecking down to get the corn and they're, like, dodging them. To, like, steal Gus nearly gets corn. trampled. Yeah, nearly gets eaten by a chicken man. And for everyone else, this is just, like, you, this is like your morning routine. Yeah, dude. He's literally... He's the tabula rasa. Also because... <laughs> <laughs> also because earlier, like, when they all pick... Like, when they're, like, wrapping their tails around and, like, almost, like, picking straws, when Jack picks himself, all the other mice other than Gus take off their little mouse hats, put them over their heart, as if anticipating Jack is going to die. Do you think Jack's just like today's leader? Like the mouse who was in charge yesterday died? Maybe. I get more of a uh, Captain, uh, like a Hogan's Heroes sort of vibe from yeah. him, you know what I mean? Like yeah, a, yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. yeah. At this point, I've noted down, we're like, probably like 18 minutes into the movie at this point, yep. and... All that has happened is she's hung out with some animals and she's changed shoes. Because she changes shoes. not in this movie. She changes shoes to go outside into some clogs and then she comes back inside and she changes shoes again. And we see it both times. Mm. Some would question why. I guess symbolism of feet and shoes is important. Maybe. Or maybe like, like you know, uh, pushing a culture towards foot fetishism. Who knows? <laughs> or, or maybe it has something to do with the fact that you're trying to turn a three-paragraph fairy tale into a motion picture. That could also be And as well. you've just got to add a lot of irrelevant bullshit. So the bells start ringing. I guess like the stepmother and the stepsisters have like bells that can ring down mm. to the laundry, and they're yelling like Cinderella, Cinderella. And she's just there playing silly buggers with some cups, like getting all their <laughs> breakfast ready. I guess I don't know. What we see now is a like a very long scene, essentially, where Lucy just has to start carrying the film because it's the only thing that's really happening. It's the only conflict. Yeah, where what? he's like trying to chase down Gus and like look for him under all these different teacups and shit like that, and then eventually um, she goes up and. Gus ends up under one of the teacups, which is heading in to one of the stepsisters' rooms. Cinderella drops off all like the, the breakfast to the, her stepmother and two stepsisters. Her stepsisters, Drazilla and Anastasia. Yes, very... I believe it's Anastasia who gets Gus in her cup. Uh, indeed. There you go. I, I really struggled to di- differentiate the two of them. Because they share a lot of the same lines and often speak in tandem. And also the same bed. 
Yeah, well... <laughs> Later in the movie. Oh, yes, 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 yeah, yes. It's yes. a little interesting. Yeah. They have separate rooms at this point. I all. mean, I guess maybe there's a storm or something like that. I don't know. Hard to say. <laughs> Basically, Gus gets caught by Lucifer. The stepsisters are screaming because there's been a mouse. And then Cinderella is, after saving Gus, summoned into the evil stepmother's room. The first time we see her outside of the book... Right, at the top of the top of the film. Right before she gets someone into the room, she picks up all of their laundry, and this is the second time we see some very impressive carrying from Cinderella. Mm. She's got a laundry basket on her head, she's got towels and shit on her arms, she's fucking just walking down the stairs yeah, like an she, thing. As she headed up with like the different uh, plates of tea, she had one on each arm and balancing one on her head. She gets yelled at about the fact that she's clearly played a prank bringing this mouse in, and she's not allowed to speak, and she gets all these extra chores given to her. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you gotta clean the carpets and the drapes <laughs> and all so do all the laundry it's the whole house it's just like yeah. it's like the estate it's the ground it's everything it's just like clean everything and do it again we now get to meet the king the king dude. Dude, okay, this so, spooky king we're like over 20 minutes into a 74 minute movie mm-hmm. and the plot is finally moving yeah like okay so, so literally literally this is the call to action yeah it's, it's it should like, have almost just started here it, like because we had, we had the exposition we could have started here I would be surprised if the remake doesn't. Yeah. Like, it'll, maybe ha- it'll have some exposition up top, maybe, or something like that. And then there'll be a song. And then the king will be like, the prince will be like, I don't know, I don't want to marry. Maybe there'll be like a montage about like him like being shown like uh, like courting people and being like, I don't love anyone. Yeah. But like, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be like the prince being like. Four minutes in, yeah. we're in the king's chamber. Exactly. Yeah. So, that all being said, I love the king in this movie. He, not not as a character and for the ideologies he espouses, but for, like, the fun and levity and some of the memorable things that he says. He's he certainly memorable. Like, <laughs> the, the, the first thing we see related to the king is a crown flies out a glass window yeah. and a crown-shaped hole, like, perfectly crown-shaped hole is in the window and we never see the crown again, dude. He literally throws his crown he away. He And he's not wearing it for the rest of the movie. He doesn't care. There. This is not a man who cares about the material things in life. No. All he cares about is grandchildren. It's literally the only thing thing he wants yeah he's complaining about his son how his son doesn't love anyone how his son won't get married and how he can't have any grandkids as a result he fucking points at this thing and he's like you don't know what it's like to have your son get gradually further and further away oh and he points God. to like four portraits in this succession it's, it's a pretty absurd fun, series of portraits yeah that was pretty fun it's quite fun it's like you know him and his son then him and his son and his son's like you know a few steps in front of him then him and his son on horses and he's kind of in the background and the last portrait is just like a tight <laughs> close-up on his son and the king's not in it at all like it's, it's pretty fun actually the thing that's fucked up about it is the king had all those portraits made. Yeah. <laughs> he had them all commissioned. Maybe at the time it just made sense, but you put them all in a row, you really realize that there's a story in motion. Yeah. I gotta nominate the king for MVP for this scene. Yeah, For some enough. of the things that come after. When he's, like, crawling along the table, and he's, like, swimming along he, the table. He has a very intimate relationship with his the Grand Duke, is okay, it? Okay, so we'll come back to the fact that he's a Grand Duke. I literally had all the movie been writing him as the king's advisor. I mean, yeah, as, like, an assistant or something. He's, like, a, he's like a, an underling. Yeah. He gets yelled at, he gets swords swung at him, he gets screamed at about everything that goes on in this movie. The king's like, you've got to organise a ball so my son can meet all the eligible ladies in the land so he can get married and give me some grandkids because all I care about is grandkids I'm getting old and I want some grandkids mm-hmm. and that's basically the whole plot of the movie uh, but he does all this crazy shit where he's like jumping on tables and like swimming through the air and like he yells all kinds of crazy shit like all oh, the trimming yes <laughs> I had that as a, as a title pitch <laughs> me too but I think it's because there's a distinct possibility 
that the king, in a murderous rage, has killed off the rest of the nobility and the rest of the house servants in the castle. That and might the Grand Duke it. is the only one left. That's true. Yeah, he's literally... He's a grand duke. Yeah. And he's this fucking servant to the he's, king. He's the fucking event manager. Like, like surely... he's just like running a ball. And the thing that's fucked up about it is we later learn the grand duke also has servants. Like surely he would just be like, hey, you go take care of the king. I can't deal with this motherfucker. Yeah. I'm, I'm a the grand, grand duke. duke. Like, I don't know if you're responsible for managing the king's day-to-day it's, life. Uh, yeah. It's is completely insane. He could have been anyone and they made him a grand duke. Makes no sense whatsoever. So... We're now 25 minutes into a 75-minute movie, mm-hmm. and finally the plot has been elucidated. The king wants a ball. It's happening tonight. The prince will meet all the eligible ladies. Now we're back in the house. Cinderella's doing some cleaning. Lucifer's just being a prankster. He messes up her floor while she sings. Uh, the yeah. stepsisters are having a... They're upstairs having a music lesson. Yeah. And they're doing a very bad job. And then Cinderella's downstairs just flexing on him, singing the same song way better. Yeah, it's true, dude. She fucking is nailing hitting those notes. So far, there have been, like, two songs in this movie. This yeah. is the second one. Both of them are Cinderella. Like, that's just poor structure. Yeah. Like, you'd, you'd get someone else in. The weird thing is, is that this film is positioned like one of those older films where the only focus is on the protagonist and everyone else suffers because of it. But Except the focus isn't actually no, on Cinderella. She's not in the it's movie. about Cinderella, but she's not the most important character. And so it just focuses on all I reckon, dude, they started animating this and was like, she looks creepy as shit. We need to focus on all the animals because at least they look like more be- like, like at least they don't look so like abjectly horrifying. That's maybe true. The invitation shows up from the king. Yes, a letter from the king! The footmen arrive, and Cinderella's like downstairs scrubbing the floor, and the invitation arrives, and all the mice are there that we're talking about, and they're all like, oh my god. And like, they are, they're like the eyes of the audience in this shit. They're like, a letter from the king? What does it say, Cinderella? And she's like, oh, it says there's to be a ball tonight, and all the eligible ladies must attend. All the, all the, what, what is it? All the, is it eligible maidens? Yeah, I think it's eligible maidens. Yeah. So... Cool. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And then... The like mice... an early concept of, like, The Bachelor. Like, nice, dude. <laughs> the mice reveal that they have secret passageways hidden behind little revolving things in the staircase. They spin around a little panel and they zip up into some holes. Yeah. So, we go back up into the music lesson and we get another pretty good title pitch from the stepmother to the daughters when they're fighting about, like, whose fault it is that they're bad at singing. Ladies... Above all, self-control. I like that as well, dude. This is the 50s, isn't it? That's my vibe. So Cinderella reads out the offer. She's like, oh, eligible ladies must attend this party. And then she's like, that means I can go, can't I? And the mother's like, yeah, you can go, Cinderella. If yeah. you finish your work. And Cinderella's like, yeah, tight. And then the, the, she leaves the room. The stepsisters are like, what's that about? And then she's like, I said, if. And they're like, yep. yes, if. Which begs the question to me that comes up a little bit later. Why this farce to keep Cinderella away from the ball? Why not just say, no, you can't go? Yeah. Like, instead of being like, no, you can't go, Cinderella. She's a like, lady that has a cat called Lucifer. She also, and she's like, I guess it's all about deals, maybe. But she maybe also, she's got a whole, like, sort of crossroads demon sort of vibe. Which is like, <laughs> I make deals. If you best her in a game of chess, yeah, then yeah. you're allowed to... I think she, to... Says, she says later on, like, I never turn my back on a no, deal. No, she, or she like does. And it's in reference to this very yeah. deal. But then she does go ahead and do that immediately. So. I guess in a way. She's crafty like a, de- like a devil. She says, if you get all your work done... And you can find something suitable to wear, then you can go to the dance. And so Cinderella immediately abandons her work to talk fashion with her animal friends. And it's just kind of like, I know I have this mountain of work to get through, but first, let me just think about, 
Yeah. And she just kind of like sits down, looks about all these different designs she could do, decides she doesn't have time to do them, and then promptly does nothing about it, and gets back to work. Gets back to work. Yeah. At which point we get what my girlfriend Lily, who was watching the show with us, calls the best song in the movie. Which is these mice being like, we can do it. And to be fair, now that I've heard all the songs in the movie, it is the best song in the movie. I, but like, Yeah, I would say it's the best, but like, it's, 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 you know. The rest of them are pretty forgettable. Yeah. And th- this one's like, all the mice are like, hey, Cinderella has to go do all that housework. Let's make her dress for her. We have Gus with a, uh, a title pitch from me. I'll cut it with scissors. I'll cut it with the scissors. <laughs> yeah. And then one of them's like, and I can sew it with the needle. I think that's Jack. And then Ooh. one of the lady mice interrupts him to say, leave the sewing to the women. <laughs> Which is... It is very good. Yeah, it's 1950, isn't it? Yes, yeah. the yep. beginning of the 50s. Yeah, literally, this is Walt Disney conditioning the 50s. So here's what I wanted to know: She's got this army of loyal mice. Why don't they do some of her chores for her, exactly. and she can do the dressmaking? Because Instead, they're like, "Let's make the dress for her." I know we're mice, but let's do some dressmaking. Do you think she's not very good at dressmaking? Maybe and that's that she it. walks up there being like. Oh, I love the dress look like this, but I don't have time. Oh, God. I better do this mountain of work. And yeah. then, like, her animal friends are like, we must protect the great saviour. Yeah. And then that goes and, like, Meanwhile, creates a dress. she's yeah. just downstairs browsing imagery on her phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the mice exactly. are, like, sewing yeah. her dress for her. She's playing fetch with Bruno. <laughs> <laughs> Candy Crush. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, she goes downstairs. The, the stepsister and the stepmother, like, fucking get into their plot uh, to try and get her to, like, not be able to finish her work in time. They're like, you have to bend all these dresses and clean all these floors and shit. Meanwhile, the mice are upstairs like, we can do it, make a dress, it's a song about dressmaking, and she's, like, fucking sweeping floors and shit. Gus and Jack come across the stepsisters throwing out a long sash and some beads. Mm. And so this Ocean's Eleven style heist happens where they roll down, take the sash, they've rolled themselves up in it almost like a hamster wheel, all to which like like Lucifer witnesses all of this and is like straight up on it. They, uh, they get in the sash and like, they're like rolling away they get to a hidey hole they're pulling the sash through and like they just manage to pull it all through before Lucifer can get there literally 80% of the conflict in this movie is Lucifer versus the mice it's Tom and Jerry dude. yeah at which point I've noted dude like Tom and Jerry-esque cartoon violence is always remake. always I don't expect we'll see much of it in the remake but Man, it, it is a remake bold. Yeah. considering it's like live C- action CGI style yeah. sort of like faces being pressed into other oh, things it just looks so bad they hatch this cu- this cunning plan to get the pearls. So, like, Jack goes out to distract Lucifer by, like, gathering up some buttons that I guess he doesn't yeah. really need to, like, gain Lucifer's attention. Lucifer, like, butt-scoots the pearls over to Jack because he knows that, like, Gus is waiting to come steal the pearls. Eventually, he gets distracted. Gus comes in and gets the pearls. Like, Jack's running around in this big pile of sheets and, like, they can't, like, find each other. And then fucking Gus runs straight into the wall carrying this big string of pearls and then he's explode and go everywhere which is where I know I nominated Gus for MVP earlier LVP yeah, right, I had it dude, dude. he's I had the traverse it. I think he might get both yeah <laughs> he might he's he, in turns he is the most and least valuable player yeah. in the movie Jack and Gus are trying to like gather up all the beads they're stacking them on Gus's tail this is that classic meme you've probably seen where it looks like they're like pulling anal beads out of Gus because like he's like bent over with his tail up in the air and there's all these like beads stacked on his tail <laughs> I have not seen that meme. You haven't? Oh, man. No. Just, just Google, like, Cinderella. Oh, well, well, don't Google Cinderella.
there are like anal beads. Yeah. But like, <laughs> that exists. That exists. I'm sure it does. Yeah. But like something related to that about like because it's literally there's a scene where like he's like bent over with his like tail up in the air and there's all these beads stacked on it because they're putting the beads on. But if you just take that freeze frame, it just looks like Jack is pulling a string of anal beads out of Gus. Uh, like there's no uh, like if he's so out of context. That's what you would think it was. <laughs> oh my god. Like that's what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, right? like. like, that's, that's what it looks no, like. There's no <laughs> other conclusion you would draw if you oh, saw that geez. out of context. <laughs> but basically we get this series of tense like shot reverse shot of them all gathering up the beads that they're stacking on Gus's tail and like fucking Lucifer's like inching towards them. I guess he's like in a sleeve, so he's yeah, like a yeah, cat yeah, snake yeah. like slithering along the ground because he's stuck in the sleeve. Tense shot reverse shot. Always remakeable. Always. And they get the beads, they get away, they get back upstairs, and they continue making the dress. Yeah, the labor force uh, continues working on that dress. Dude, in some horribly unsafe working conditions. Horribly, dude. They're inside, yeah. like, the dress, as, like, needles are being poked through it, they, like, narrowly miss the mice that are inside. It's almost like they're afraid of what's going to happen if they don't get it done. In time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, it's around here that I'd like to play a little tagline game with you, Benjamin. Please. Keeping in mind that this is 1950. Yep, so it's going to be old Hollywood taglines. Um, there's actually a whole bunch of them. Oh, really? A whole bunch of taglines. Oh, like dang. Six or seven. Uh, tell me, tell but me. But first of all, I'm going to run through three of them, and I'd like you to tell me which is which. Okay. These are all legitimate film taglines. Okay, but not all from this movie. Okay. No. So one of them is from this film. Two so the are from other movies. other movies. Contemporary movies? Or uh, is that giving it away? Okay, alright, bring it on. Who can see? Number one. She's about to find the perfect fit. Okay, that's... That's pretty reflective of the movie. Number two. Some things are worth waiting for. Okay. And number three. This is a much more solemn sort of like... Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, in terms of this particular tagline game. Number three. The greatest love story ever told. Okay. 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 It's kind of withdrawn, a bit more solemn. But Number one. Think? Number one, like, is, like, too good. Like, it's too... Like, considering... Okay, so, like, when we started doing this tagline game, I did well a couple of times, and then... They stopped making sense, like, entirely. Like, the Planet of the Apes ones were just completely off the rails. And, and like, the fucking uh, Die Hard ones were just yeah. ridiculous. Like, so I don't... The sense first... isn't... Logic isn't necessarily... Exactly. So, like, I, I'm, I'm... Considering that, I'm ignoring number one because mm-hmm. it makes too much sense. Like, mm-hmm. number one is a good tagline for the movie, but I assume they haven't gone with that. Something worth waiting for, yeah, that could affect it. The last one was the greatest romance ever told. The greatest love story greatest ever, love story told. ever told. I feel like that, I've heard that before. I feel like I've heard that tagline in reference to another movie. So I'm thinking it's either one or two. Like, all logic dictates it's one, which means I'm going with two. Correct answer, Benjamin, is... Number three, the Fuck greatest me! love story ever told. Fuck me! Really? Yes, yes, yes. Number one, she's about to find the perfect fit. 27 dresses. <laughs> uh, Catherine Heigl? Yeah, in our ways. And uh, the second one is some things are worth waiting for from Never Been Kissed in 99. <laughs> <laughs> Who pays these marketing this, chumps, dude? This is the greatest love story ever told. <laughs> it's really horrifying. That like and, and now I'll I'll be honest. This oh. tagline comes from the 1957 reissue, but it's only seven years later. Yeah, well, they had time. This is the thing. 
this isn't this isn't some sort of marketing like genius going in being like, I think this, this is fair. This is seven years afterwards taking into account everything and being wow. like, yes, this is the greatest love story ever the told. The greatest love story ever told. I'm gonna hit you up with the second tagline. Before you like we're gonna come back to later why that is particularly insane. Of course. Yeah. Um yeah, the greatest love story ever told. Now let me hit you up with the other ones. With the uh, the second tagline. Greatest since Snow White. <laughs> Which I think is just like as yep. a thing to put on a poster, greatest since not greatest movie yep. or like just greatest in Snow White. Greatest in Snow Dis- White. Disney's greatest, I guess. Next one, full of fantasy, fun and delight for all the world to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Sure, okay. Here to set a spark in your heart and a sparkle in your eye, the world's best love story, told with Walt Disney's wizardry. <laughs> <laughs> the man is a wizard. He really is. Oh, Jesus. A love story with music. Oh, well, well that's pretty descriptive, yeah, yeah. I suppose. You can't argue with that. For all the world to love. Is, is that it? Yep. For all the world to love. For all the world to that love. That is the tagline. They're like, Cinderella. For, for all, all the world to love. love. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it's hard to argue with, but yeah. like, yeah, alright. Okay. And the last one. And one I really struggle with. Mm-hmm. Midnight never strikes when you're in love. So not true for not the movie. Not true for the movie Like, the movie... Not true. Like, the central plot no, 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 no. line is about Midnight Strike. we're gonna hang on to that one, and then when we get to it, yeah. you'll know, because we're gonna say it. But, like, not actually true for this film... At all. It's actually like the opposite the, of true. The exact like literally, opposite. Like literally yeah. the, the conflict mm-hmm. of the movie is built around the fact that that's yes. not true. That, that, so that does in fact strike when you are in love. That is a crazy thing to tagline a movie with. Straight back in, Cinderella's walking back upstairs to her room when these mice are finishing up her dress. I gotta wonder, are we meant to be able to understand this singing? Your Cinderella's not in the room and the mice are all just like yeah, dressed, yeah, sewing, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and like they're not really speaking English or if they are at least I couldn't understand it yeah I think there's I, I think it's I think it is actually English it's just like garbled garbled yeah <laughs> yeah interesting so at this point I've noted this movie is not about Cinderella nope. but the entire mouse gang which I've written M-O-U dollar sign E-G at some G gets an MVP on for me because this dress is actually pretty good <laughs> like I was ex- it is pretty fresh I was expecting that they were gonna like fuck up the dress you know cause they're mice yeah like that they do a bad job and then that would be a problem but no they, they do an amazing job making it's very good so mouse gang mvp for me then so like the the carriage arrives to take uh all the girls to the ball cinderella's like yo cinderella like rocks down and's like yo hold up yeah i'm coming along and like i thought she wasn't going because earlier she'd said she wasn't the stepsisters are like like mom you can't let this happen and she's like no i never turned my back on a deal but hang on a second what are those beads this is this scene is a it man. prompts the sepsis to realize that she has stolen things. I mean, stolen, but like, like the the mice have taken things that they were throwing out. Yeah. To which point they nearly murder her. Yeah. They, we get this horrifying montage of the sepsis is like tearing like at her, strip her down to like a very broken version of her dress. They strip the beads. They strip the sash. They just scream at her, and at then they fucking bail. You gotta respect the stepmother. For the way she orchestrated that. Like, she's always got a plan B, dude. Oh, yeah. Like, she's she's a full fucking wheeler and a dealer. A through Z, dude. She's like, she's like, 
okay, I don't want Cinderella to go to the ball. Rather than saying no, I'll orchestrate a situation where she can never make it by giving her an impossible task. Okay, somehow she got all that done. She thinks on her feet, and she's instantly like, here's how I can resolve this, dude. Like, much as I hate to say it, MVP. For the stepmother, you know? Yeah. She's evil, but she's great at what she does. Yeah. She, she's what, great at being evil. And what she does is hate Cinderella. Yeah. And she's, <laughs> she's, she's amazing She's the it. best at it, dude. She, she never goes back in a bargain. She does find a way to fuck people still. So, the sisters go off to the ball. Cinderella cries, and... Jackson summons a fairy. So, we're yeah. 42 minutes into a movie. Yes. It's a movie that's 74 minutes Roll long. Roll through the halfway point. So, we're, we're well past halfway. We've maybe come to terms with the fact that she has some innate ability to communicate with right, nature. exactly. So but she seemingly has an ability to, like, tap into the... Say the like fey realm, yeah, the, the fey realm, and summon <laughs> or conjure some sort of like fey, uh, fey yeah, lady or so, lord. So this is something I want to address. Um, so yeah, she's she's crying there. Forty two minutes into a seventy four minute movie, her fairy godmother shows up. So Deus Ex Machina coming in, sure. you know, late in the movie, yeah, not foreshadowed in any way. No. Structurally speaking, you're a writer boy. Is that a good way to write a thing? I wouldn't say particularly I, good. I would say no, no but anyway, no. 1950, we'll forgive that part for, for what it is now. She does immediately uh, title her as a fairy godmother. She's like, oh, are you She's my like, fairy godmother? Yeah, which suggests some sort of knowledge of the craft. Exactly, this is what I want to know. Like, <laughs> is this just a thing? Like, is, is the concept of a fairy godmother just understood in Cinderella's yeah. world? Does everybody have one? Because she immediately is like, oh, you must be my fairy godmother. How can you help me? There was no story from, like, say, her mother before she died yep. about fairy godmothers. I'm sure there will be. Or, like, her dad. Yeah. Some I'm, foreshadowing. I'm, I'm sure there'll be a better understanding of story structure. So, <laughs> but, like, I mean, you can only hope. But, like, yeah, it is. I mean, after all, Kenneth Branagh yeah. is uh, no, the that's director. True. So, yeah, you know, you, you think he'll have uh, sorted that out. I wonder if he'll call that the greatest love story ever told, or if he'll reserve that for Romeo and Juliet, which yeah. is Kenneth Branagh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, dude. Dude, okay, so this scene with the fairy godmother, I just want to point out, like, horrifying in, in so many ways, and we'll come back to it. First thing I want to say about it, though, before we dig into the individual bits of it that have mm. fucked up, when you think about the story of Cinderella, because, mm. like, you like me, I haven't seen this movie since I was no. about a wee babe. Watching my grandparents, like, when I was... Young and impressionable. Nearly 20 years ago. When I definitely should have been watching this film. Like, close to two decades ago was the last time I saw this movie. Mm. But, like, it's cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. Everyone knows the story of Cinderella, Glass Slipper, Fairy Godmother, Evil Stepmother. Whatever. They're they're cultural touchstones, right? Fairy Godmother is in this movie for four and a half minutes. Mm. And she doesn't come back. No. Like, you, you kind of would expect her to come back. She literally shows up, like, two thirds of the way into the movie. Hangs out for like three to four minutes of screen time, then fucks off. She becomes a chief antagonist in Shrek 2, and- dude. <laughs> like, obviously, obviously that, those four minutes stayed with us. 55 years later, yeah, dude. she's in Shrek 2. And that's before the remake of Cinderella. Jesus, that's like- true, man. So, okay. Now we can dig into the ways in which the fairy godmother is horrifying. So, okay. a couple of things. She shows up. She appears drunk. She's confused. She's she doesn't there's know something what's going, going on. on. She's yeah. like, yeah, what? Oh, yeah, uh, first thing you need, a pumpkin. Just, like, randomly picking words. She can't find her wand. She's lost she her then wand. summons it out of, like, the fey realm. Yep. She, like, She's targets the magic random words. pumpkin. She's yeah. forgot the magic words, so she just says bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Yep. It's like, she's just making it up. She's literally, like, got inherent magic, and she's just like, ah, uh, bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Yeah. And then, dude, 
Yeah, there's something horrifying about removing the agency of something. Okay. Particularly a sentient creature, yep. which these animals, for the most part, are shown to be. So, because this fucking fairy godmother just starts firing her Tommy gun of a wand at these animals. Doing horrible magic. And just changing them. Tr- like, only way they Transfiguring them into different beings. Dude, so, so, so first thing she does... Turns a pumpkin into a carriage. Oh, that's kind of whimsical and fun. Yeah, Didn't right. Get with that. A little weird. You're going to need some horses. Oh, there's a good, pl- perfectly good horse here. Uh, no, 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 no. We need that horse for something else. Yeah. <laughs> Which and we so, will come back and to. And so, there's, there's obviously this sort of cycle of transformation that's very, Dude, like... There's like, a great chain of being yeah. thing going on. It must be like alchemy like, sort of thing. And, like, <laughs> the, the jumps between, like, say, mouse to horses is closer than horses to humans or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she turns four mice, including Jack and, yep, Gus, and Gus... Into beautiful steeds. These beautiful horses. Now, these are sentient mice, mm-hmm. and they clearly hate it. They're running away. Gus they're like is fucking running, running screaming, yeah. and she turns them into horses. They're never okay with it, to be fair. Well, I mean, they're under a spell, dude. Yeah. They're literally under a That's spell. That's true. Also, not that bad a deal. Like, if you could be a mouse or a horse, horse is pretty good. This is the really fucked up thing. The truly horrifying thing. She takes a horse and a dog... That have not spoken in the film. No, they're not sentient. The mice are more intelligent than this horse and dog as far as I'm aware. I mean, the mice can speak, they can sing, they can make dresses. And so the mice are the ones that run. The horse and dog, they don't run. Dude, they turn the horse and dog into into people. people. Like, she has the power to imbue human sentience, dude. And then, then, when she lays out the rules of her magic, which is that at midnight it all expires... Imbue and then rip away human sentience, dude. How fucked is that? To take a dog and be like, you're a man now. You're a human fucking being with a human's body. And And do you think once you grant that sentience, it goes away? Or do they just lose the ability to communicate? Does she create a sentience in these animals and then trap them in a meat cage, forever unable to communicate their grand thoughts or human opinions. I think it's some flowers for Algernon shit, dude. Like, she imbues them with the sentience of a human being, and then rips it away later. What I want to know is, what are the limits on her magic? She can imbue animals with human sentience? Dude, I literally wrote down, this godmother needs to be stopped, she is without remorse, who are these horrifying avatars that she's created? Her powers are limitless, and yet she can't make them last past midnight, or doesn't want to. Also, she makes these horrifying homunculi out of horse and dog flesh. What happens to their brains when they turn back into horse and dog? Do they lose the memories of being man? Or do they remember the times when they could think and feel and express poetry and create art think, and science? I think it just gets ripped away, dude. <sighs> It's so horrifying. Which is why LVP for Fairy Godmother. Yeah. Just, ugh, I hate her. She's I hate her with my whole heart. frightening in her power. The fairy turns Cinderella into a beautiful wee maiden. She has yeah, a dress she, and a tiara. And it's important and to note, she doesn't, doesn't change her physically. No. But she does give her like a shiny dress, some glass slippers. You know, yeah, exactly. She's kind of like, you know... She gets into the Photoshop and just kind of like glamsing up a little bit. Magic, especially in 2017, 2018. Highly remakeable. In the Game of Thrones era, post Harry Potter. Yeah, magic, dude. dude. I'd be surprised if the fairy godmother in the remake isn't like more creepy. You're getting more creepy. Yeah, like deliberately creepy. Because, like, in this, she's not like, because it's the 50, like, 1950, she's not painted as creepy. It's only with the benefit of hindsight. I reckon they go more benevolent and like more of a mentor figure. Yeah? Yeah. Although maybe, just, like, maybe the dad could be. I'm wondering how gritty it is. 
Yeah, like, maybe it's got a real grim dark sort of one. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's where they go with it. And so Cinderella and her horrifying band of new humans and horses roll on down to the royal ball. And we get to see like a shot in of essentially the king and his who I thought at the time of his assistant, but the, yep, grand, the Duke, grand Duke. Just essentially overseeing this horrifying now, it's called a ball. Yeah. And I'm gonna blame the fact that the person running it is a grand duke and not some sort of head of household servant who understands event management. It's not really a ball so much as a giant room where all the ladies come in, greet the prince, and everyone just stands to the side watching. Waiting for who will approve of, though. Before we get to the ball, there's something I have to address, a point that I wrote down. So, the horse from the stables has become a man. Mm -hmm. The mice have become horse, right? The second that the horse becomes man... He starts driving these carriage horses, dude. Oh, Which is fucked. You'd think he'd have some compassion. But no. Literally the second he gets on top, he starts sticking the boot in. Those Stanford experiments. Yeah, dude, literally. I've got it now, like, psychology, Stanford experiment. It's really late capitalist vibes, dude. dude. It's also a rumination on the nature of man. The second he feels like he has a The second he has an ounce of power, he uses it to subject what he used to be. He sticks the boot in, dude, and he starts driving the carriage as hard as he can. Dude, knowing with full human knowledge that he will be returned to that in, like, what, three hours? No sympathy. How dark the con of man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Truly we see the darkest heart of man, dude. I've seen the curvature of this terrible earth. (laughs) (laughs) This movie holds a mirror up to our darkest tendencies. Wow. So, let's jump back to the ball. So, you're right, it is a pretty shitty excuse for a ball. Uh, I have to say, though, the Grand Duke looks so fresh... He's just grooving out. He's doing yo-yo tricks with his fucking monocle. He gets an MVP from me, dude. He also oh, makes really? a very good case against arranged marriage. Yep. Basically, like, we see the stepsisters. They're being, like, uh, announced and, like, obviously... The Tremaines! Yeah, the Tremaines are there and everyone's very, like, mm, not, not really vibing it. And so the Grand Duke goes on this monologue, which is the most sensible thing in this film Probably, about yeah. how fairy tale romance doesn't exist, yep. how you can't just meet someone and fall in love. Lays out this whole very strong counter argument. Yeah, because the prince happens, has been just thoroughly unimpressed by everyone who's been presented to him. Which him. happens concurrent to the prince meeting Cinderella yep. and simultaneously falling immediately in love. Yep, exactly. So like, it, it's literally like, it's not clear what point the movie's trying to make. That all being said, ruminations on the nature of love, pretty remakeable. Certainly I remakeable. expect we'll see lots of them. We also get a title pitch from the king here, who, upon seeing the prince meeting Cinderella, like, grabs the monocle and then points there, and then screams, take a look at that, you pompous windbag. <laughs> that's a pretty good title I really pitch. like a lot. That's not bad. It's also worth noting here, at this point, the king's like, great, that's all sorted. <laughs> I'm going to go to bed. Yeah, dude, um, my party's kicking <laughs> off. Yeah, so... Yeah, uh, time for me to go to bed. I'm, uh, I'm heading to bed. If you let me know when he proposes, otherwise, uh, let me keep snoozing. Yeah. And then he threatens the Grand Duke with death. Yep. He's literally like, if anything goes wrong... Thumb <laughs> across the neck. And he makes the... Yeah. So literally like, hey, okay, so this ball that I was throwing that was a shit idea... Hasn't working out very well. He's met one lady with whom he's impressed. If 
anything, anything goes wrong, you're dead. You're dead. It's your responsibility to make sure that they and actually fall in love. The thing about the Grand Duke and why I love him as an MVP is that he is the last person standing between a kingdom and their, like, <laughs> desperate ruler. Like, he's the one man who has horrifying responsibility of, like, just trying to stay he's alive the only to check stop. Or balance. The- yeah, it's him. It's him between this tyrant king and, like, the poor people in this Dude. kingdom. That is remakeable in 2018. It definitely is, dude. The, the concept of yeah. uh, the person trying to, to bring down king, a desperate... Yeah. Cinderella and the prince just can't help it. They just start grooving. They fall in love. And normally in a ball, like when someone starts dancing, you have a round of dancing and then everyone joins in. But not this ball. They no, dance fact, into the night. Though. The whole crowd keep watching until it is deemed inappropriate to keep watching when the Grand Duke jumps down... And grabs like a modesty curtain. Pulls a velvet drape, dude. Pulls a velvet drape across, <laughs> stopping Lady Germain from realizing that Cinderella is the, actually Cinderella. the yeah. the, the bride, well, the mystery, the mystery, lady. Uh, mystery lady. Of course, neither of the stepsisters nor Lady Germain have recognized her, given that nothing has changed to her physically. No. And they saw her an hour ago. It's true. They can't figure it out. I quite like the song here. The, the song's not so terrible. This is love. It- mm. And I wrote here as a title pitch, so this is love, question mark. Yeah. Because that's the vibe I got. Like, so this, this is love? The actual music itself is not bad. It's awful when it's in context. It's literally like, they've met 30 seconds ago, and now they're in love. And they're dancing around outside. One of the lines talks about the miracle of love and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. In a night in which she summons a fairy godmother uh-huh. from the, the fate she realm... She can also constantly who talk can to tra- animals. ...who can transmute creatures into different species, and also her pet mice made her address, dancing with a boy is the real miracle. We're meant to intuit that this is a super cool romance. They're sitting on a bridge hanging out. It's I a kingdom it's, of romance. It's dude. a kingdom of romance and the greatest love story ever told. We have literally just met this prince. You know what's like, even better, dude? The design of the prince, comparatively, is really shit. You know what's like, even better, dude? He doesn't get a name, and I'm pretty sure this is his first ever line. Where, like, they finish their song and dance, and they're sitting on the bridge, and he goes, It's nearly midnight. <laughs> I think that's the first thing he says in the movie, and we're nearly an hour in <sighs> to a 74-minute film! And we're supposed to care about this character and his romance, but we haven't even, like, we know nothing about him! It's nuts, dude. <laughs> How are we supposed to believe this is the great, the greatest, I know, the, the greatest, greatest love story ever, ever told? told. <sighs> anyway, Cindy Bales as it's midnight, or getting close to oh, it. Before we get there, dude, there's a goof. Oh, a mighty goof. A mighty goof. Yeah. Apparently, in this scene, we'll have to go back and rewatch it. When they're like dancing, their shadows are just completely fucked. Like, the shadows don't like mimic the movements they make, and they're like way too big and just like all over the shop. Uh, okay. so, they didn't figure out shadows until like the late 60s. Yeah, dude. Until The Incredibles, actually. Yeah, really. It's the first movie that got shadows right. Man. Well, there weren't many animated films between this one and The Incredibles. No, I mean, it was mostly like this movie and then Lady and the Tramp. And then, then The Incredibles, Incredibles and then Shrek 2. Yeah. Like, that was... <laughs> <laughs> that's the history of animated film. Because Shrek 1, of course. <laughs> live action. Well, <laughs> live action when they, when they put it on film. Man. But it started as a series of short stories in The New Yorker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like, like the, and basically it had one of those like thumb things where you like just... <laughs> grabbed all the images and flicked <laughs> through them book, yeah. like a little like personal cartoon you could make dude you've <laughs> surely seen the Shrek live musical and like the design for Shrek and how horrifying it is mm-hmm. in an abject sense mm-hmm. like 
can you imagine if the first film was a live-action film in that style? And then they were like, actually did really well. A lot of complaints about the design. We're going animated now. It's just Mike like, Myers wearing, like, a shitty Shrek costume. Yeah. Uh, oh, fuck, dude. He's got experience in costumes on camera, though. Austin Powers, the yeah. love guru. Yeah, baby. <laughs> hey, dude. Am I not totally enough for the total club? Now, that's not... That's the Master of Disguise, homie. That's and that's not Austin. That's not Mike Myers. It is, isn't it? No, it's uh, it's the other one. Um, fucking is that not Mike Myers? Are you gonna sit here and tell me that <laughs> that movie doesn't have Mike, Mike Myers in it? It's not Mike what Myers. The fuck? It's Dan- Dana Dana Carvey. Dana Dana Carvey. What? Hang on. The guy. The, oh the my guy. God. Dude, it's, my whole life it's is his alive. colleague in Wayne's World. I literally did the Wayne's World traverse. <laughs> <laughs> You're the first person to complete the Wayne's World Traverse. <laughs> the trials of Wayne's World. Ah, dude. Uh, dude, I gotta start a movie, a, a Point Break esque <laughs> film about completing the Wayne's World Traverse. <laughs> oh, Jesus, it is Dana Carvey. Yeah, dude. Oh, you can forgive me for that one. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> really Dude, I mean, okay, like the fucking the casting directors get together and they're literally just kind of like. I mean, are we going Mike or are we going Dana? Dude, no, like, they, they got be Dana honest. Covey because they couldn't get Mike Myers. <laughs> let's be honest. Like, they designed yeah. that movie with Mike they, and They mind. were like, man, the Austin Powers movies are really taking off. I don't think we can afford Mike Myers anymore. <laughs> Who's that other guy in Wayne's <laughs> Have you seen The Spy Who Shagged Me, dude? Fucking Heather Graham's in that film. She's a good actress. Dude, you know the antagonist love interest in that film is fucking Christopher Walken? <laughs> yeah. I, hang on. He's not in here. In Wayne's World. Are you sure, dude? Yeah, I swear to God. He's not in the cast. Dude, he was uncredited. <laughs> dude, he might be. I'm looking at the cast of Wayne's World, dude. It's Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, Tia Carrera, Rob Lowe, Lara Flynn Boyle, oh, Chris Farley. I apologize. Wayne's World 2. <laughs> <laughs> Still waning. Wayne, dude. Um, it is fucking nuts, dude. Dude, Lara Flynn Boyle? Yeah, dude. She's Man, she's in fucking Twin Peaks. Dude, Chris Farley? Alice uh, Cooper? R.I.P. Alice Cooper. Ed O'Neill, dude? Fucking hell, There's man. some people in this movie, yeah. dude. Meatloaf's in it, dude. Man, I wish they'd do a remake of Wayne's World. Yeah, who'd be in it? Uh, oh, man, ooh. if you remade Wayne's World today. If you made... Yeah, who would start? I think Seth Rogen World. could definitely do it. I'm not sure. I think he's goofy, but in like a... <laughs> but sort of way, the like... Thing. The remake, though, has to capture the modern era. They're not going to remake it and make the same movie, right? Part of the idea of the remake is you make it for the generation. Yeah, it's of a course. reboot of Wayne's World, the franchise. But you reckon, I reckon Seth Rogen, maybe that's maybe like dude. a few years ago. Okay, dude, how about this? Miranda Cosgrove from iCarly, dude. Okay. Because of the Wayne's World iCarly connection. Right, I'm right? not aware of this. Well, they're just like, they're both making like TV shows in their houses that are, you okay. know, that's like, she, she was, she was Wayne's World 2 before yeah, Wayne's yeah. World 2. That's true. Yeah, dude. or probably after. In fact, she's Wayne's World three. <laughs> yeah, Wayne's World three D, starring iCarly, Miranda Cosgrove, and dude, no, dude, 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 Tenacious D, Jack Black, Kyle Gass. Yeah, they're almost too. They've got their own thing going on. Yeah, like they bridge true. a gap between Wayne's World and iCarly. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They really are <laughs> instrumental in that. Anyway, so it's midnight. It's midnight and Cinderella needs to run away from the prince because the prince has said the first thing he says in this movie, I believe, about it being midnight. Mm-hmm. And she's like, her excuse to run away is like, I haven't even met the prince. And he's like, you mean you didn't know that? And then she runs away. That because- killjoy clock, dude. Oh. Just like, you know. Yeah, it's true. So This killjoy clock striking midnight on this true love. We're back here again. Midnight 
True love, it does strike. Yeah, the tagline. tagline. It's the opposite of true. They've fallen in love. They've sung a whole song about how they're in love. The whole rest of the movie is about how they're in love. And it's midnight now. So, she runs away. They send the fucking Riders of Mordor out after her. That's what I wrote. These, like, Shadow Knights of the King. Dude, there's all these, like, red-cloaked fuckers, like, screaming yeah, as if the, the king is a tyrant and the Grand Duke is all that stands between them. Well, dude, the Grand Duke knows he's gonna die if Cinderella gets away. He was told that if anything goes wrong, dude, including the girl running away, at this point, they're literally, like, as far as the Grand Duke knows, she's, like, totally not in love, wants to run away, and they're like, GET HER! And they send all these riders out after I mean, it's a horrifying sacrifice that he's making. He's like, one girl's life... To save mine, me, the Grand Duke. No, but to save me so he can continue his duty as life. That's true. He's got important things to do. Yeah. Protecting the realm from this horrible Exactly. I've got another mighty goof for you. This is written by an IMDb fan community member. At midnight, when Cinderella is escaping in the carriage, we see a full moon low to the horizon. A full moon at midnight must be at its highest elevation with respect to the horizon. Only in polar regions could it be as low as it appears. So I'm wondering, does this film take place in Antarctica? Yeah. Or the Arctic, dude. Dude, maybe... Yeah. Maybe there's like a real ice prince going Maybe it's like Atlantis before the Mad King sunk the city. But Atlantis is like... Pacific Ocean, right? It's not like Yeah, that's poles. true. So this must be taking place like near Santa's workshop. One has to assume. Or beneath the crust of the earth. Or, dude, the earth is flat and it doesn't matter because it's all a projection on a dome anyway. Well, then I've there you got go. some literature I'd like you to look yeah, at. Yeah, the ice wall. Yeah. Yeah. And like the dome thing and the god above. And yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'll send you some links. Yeah. It's funny because you've mentioned this at like two parties you've been at recently. Yeah, I've bought and into it. It's dude. getting to the point now where, yeah. I, <laughs> look, you have. I, I'm just saying, why can't anyone show me a picture of the Earth? Wow. You know, not even. That like, they themselves took. Yeah, oh, you know, what am I going to trust? NASA? Yeah. Pff, you mean those NAS holes? Nice, dude. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. So, uh, the, the pumpkin is revealed as the carriage reverts to its natural form. Mm-hmm. The horses turn back into mice. The man turns back into a horse. And the other man turns back into a dog. They've been flowers for Algernon. Now, here's a pretty fucked up thing. The slippers don't turn back Now, what's that nothing. about? It's, it's not about anything, Jackson. It's never explained. It's a huge plot hole. Or is it about Cinderella's feet of requirement? In that she needs one of those glasses to stay around. No, that's true. So she, yeah, of and course. So we, her feet, her feet then grow toes. We miss because an they know it's going to be important. We miss an important thing. She leaves one of the slippers behind. Yes. As she's running away, she drops one of her slippers to get in her carriage. Do you think that's it? Well, what is? Do why? you think if she'd left stuff behind? Do you think it was actually because she was heading oh, back? It was about like greed. It so, was like mm-hmm. if she just stayed there forever. Or maybe it was about faith, dude. Yeah. Maybe if she'd stayed with the love and been like, I don't care what happens, you'll see me because how I am, nothing would have changed. never strikes midnight if you're in love. love. But she oh. ran away from it. Oh, man. The tagline was right, we're idiots. <laughs> no. So there's a massive plot hole. <laughs> the <laughs> shoes never turn back, even though her dress and hair and tiara and everything else turn back into nothing or whatever they were before, the shoe stays glass. She picks up the shoe when she realises that she still has it, and she just looks up into the sky and says, thank you. Thank you for everything. 
Which is strange. I mean, I guess she's thanking the fairy godmother. Not made explicitly clear. Yeah. What a strange thing to see. So now we're in the king's chambers and we get to see his dream. He's dreaming of frolicking with some children. I guess that's the wish his heart's made. Yeah. Them literally riding him like a horse. (laughs) And that's obviously been his wish since, like... Because, like, all he cares about, like, he refers to the women coming in and being like, he hasn't found a mother yet. Sorry. uh, A bride. Like... Like, all this dude cares about is pumping out these kids. Nothing fetishy about that. It's all (laughs) so worth noting that the king's bed is gigantic. It's it's 20 times his size. We've already seen evidence to suggest that he has a powerful sexual appetite in terms of how he was (laughs) interacting with the Grand Duke earlier. The crawling on the table. Okay. Like, the throwing him around. I think, you know... He used it for fuck piles, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, when the king earlier was like, oh, great, it's happening. I'm gonna go to bed, so let me know what happens. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously using it for fuck piles. So, uh, the advisor slash Grand Duke comes in and is like, I have news. And he's like, he's proposed already? Have a cigar. In fact, have 600 cigars. And he just, like, shoves 100 cigars at his fucking friend, like, really quickly, like, forces them on him. Then he's like, I'll knight you. Surely a Grand Duke outranks a knight? Like, yeah. surely it's a little weird to, like, try and knight a Grand Duke? Yeah, maybe he's demoting. <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> now that my son's gonna have kids, I don't need you anymore. Yeah, exactly. You're a knight now. No, so then, of course, the Grand Duke reveals that, like, the news he has is that Cinderella got away. The That's king, the word he uses. Yeah, she got away. The king screams sabotage. Flies into a race. No, he doesn't scream sabotage. He screams, sabotage! <laughs> which is a title pitch for me. It's me as well. Particularly with five or six he, A's. Yeah, you're right. He flies off the handle into a murderous race. He starts lol spinning. He picks up a sword. He's fucking trying to cut this guy's head off. This man should not be in charge of ruling a kingdom. He's just like, he's so volatile. Dude, there is this really goofy, like, trampoline scene where, like, the Grand Duke's, like, flying up while the king's, like, bouncing. The king bounces up, but the duke's falling down and he's, like, trying to, like, slice him in the air while the duke's explaining, like, oh, she got away, but he's, the prince said he's desperately he's in, in love, love with her. her. He's gonna, like, test his last slippage they're behind on every maiden in the kingdom. I suppose. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's, that's a new thing. The king is satisfied they're going to get this fucking shoe and it's a royal decree that every maiden in the kingdom must try on the shoe to try and figure out which one was Cinderella. Now, this is written down. Do you think this movie is big in the foot fetish subculture? I do. I've got to assume that it is, right? Because, like, the guy can't remember her face because he spent the whole time looking at her feet. Oh, okay, interesting. he, He fully, like, he literally, like, danced with this girl for hours. He's supposedly in love with her. He can't recognize her face. Yeah, but dude, the thing is, the prince, and it would make sense for the prince to be the one going around with the glass slipper, it is in fact the Grand Duke. We actually and don't see the prince again until the very end of the movie. You know who wasn't looking at her feet but was looking at her? Mm. The Grand Duke. It's... The entire time he watched her walk in and then dance with the prince. But yeah, I mean, this movie's literally all about having perfect feet that either do or don't have toes. That's what I mean. Doesn't matter. So... Hey, doesn't matter what you look like. Provided you have perfect feet. Now we're back at the Chateau Tremaine, I guess. And the stepsisters are just in bed together, having a good old whinge about the fact that it didn't go well. Why are they sharing a bed? We know they have separate rooms. Doesn't matter. Who can say? There's a royal decree going around, basically saying that, like, the prince or, like, the royal family will be going around checking every every maiden's foot sort of thing to see who that mystical lady was. And the stepmother convinces the, her daughters to fool the prince... Because he doesn't know who she is. And Mm. again, I have here, and maybe your foot thing is right, but he did see her, and she wasn't disguised, and the only difference will be that she looks 
poor now. Yep. It's a real classist thing. Mm. Also, in this very scene where uh, the stepmother is like giving Cinderella all these orders next to the stairs, I've got a mighty goof for you. Oh, yeah. It's another one. So, in this scene where she is giving her various orders, the clock on the wall changes hours. Now, I question whether this is a goof. Or whether it's deliberately meant to imply that she's been screaming, just for screaming for hours, <laughs> and you fucking you gotta clean the and then like flash forward three hours, and also the drapes are still dirty in the windows, it, and like flash forward two dude. more hours. Yeah. Like, is it deliberate by the filmmakers to suggest that she's just been like this old dementia-fied like, woman just yeah, rambling, yeah. just rambling for hours about like all the things that need to be done? I think so. So the the footman and the Grand Duke show up with the glass slipper. Uh, Cinderella has been locked in her room by the evil stepmother. She's fucking locked her away, right? Like, she she heard her singing, like, so this is love, and was like, oh, she's in love with the king. It's really yeah, her. it's her. So she locks her in because, you know, it's her evil manifesto. Yep. And then this movie becomes a sore film for mice. Yep. Our boys... In addition and- to a sore film for mice, it also becomes an excuse for wasting a lot of time in a movie that is only 74 minutes hey, long. Hey, it, ha- it was that... A long time ago. Yeah, but so, like, the, the the footman comes in, reads the royal decree. We already know what it is. Mm. We literally just saw the scene where the decree got made. We just saw the mother explaining it to the stepdaughters. Now we've got it reading it out on a scroll. Like, literally three times in a row, back to back to back. There hasn't even been anything else to distract us to let us forget what the royal decree is. We know what's going on. You don't need to keep reading the royal decree. <laughs> I know. And so this royal decree is used to give the mice enough time to get the key... Which, like, as I say, becomes a sore film in that, like, their lives are being threatened by, like, being knocked around against the key and, like, it being dropped on them. Dude. They have to carry I've... this fucking key, like, up, I've like... i got one for you, dude. This Mission Impossible shit? Well, like, Mouse Shit Impossible. Hey! Oh, yeah! I love it. I love well, it. They're doing this fucking heist to get the thing. Another thing that's fucked up about this, so the stepsisters are, like, fighting over the slipper. They're both like, oh, that's my slipper! And, like, trying to get it on their feet. And fucking these mice are pulling off this Mouse Shit Impossible mission to get the key to Cinderella's room out of the stepmother's pocket. Dude, they see the key through her pocket. There's literally a scene where the mice look at her back pocket and then it like x-rays away and we see the key in the back pocket. Yeah. Like these mice, dude, have x-ray vision. Yeah, or That's like they're touched up. by the fae, dude. Yeah. She is some sort of fae sorcerer, I swear to God. Either that, dude, or it's leftover fae magic from when they were oh, horses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like they've been like, you know, they've been turned back into mice, but they've retained well, some ho- kind of the magic. Horses eat a lot of carrot. That's true. Very good eyesight. Very good eyes. That must be it, dude. So, uh, yeah, they get the key and they're running upstairs, as you said, in this fucking horrifying chamber of torture where, like, Gus is there. He's so puffed out. They're pushing the key up the stairs. There's all this, like, really contrived like time drawing out shit where they're trying to get the key up the stairs and there's nothing really stopping them but it's taking a while meanwhile I think it's Drazilla the redhead of the stepsisters is like kicking the footman into the piano and being like you fucking idiot (laughs) that was pretty funny now at this point I've got another mighty goof for you oh Jesus dude this film is riddled with goofs. It's riddled with them. The position on the piano in which the footman is being kicked doesn't make sense for the sound. Doesn't being correlate made. to the notes. Because it'd be way lower. Hey. Yeah. They'd be like, but it's like, pring, 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 every yeah, time he's fuck. kicking the piano. Mouse gang go through some shit. They fucking and do. For me, they double down on MVP. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so the, the mice then, uh, so Jack and Gus, our two mice friends, uh, get the key out and they just have to, like, climb this, like, gigantic tower which for them given the steps are like twice their height 
is fucking ridiculous. But we get up there. It's the and equivalent like, of you climbing like a two kilometer tall mountain. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's obscene. We see after all this like effort, essentially, Cinderella looking through the keyhole, realizing her like mouse friends or slaves, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. uh, have succeeded in this like deadly and dangerous task. But who's that? Lucifer, our like long tormented friend, is there to fuck shit up. He shows up, traps Gus under a bowl with the key in his hand, and they're all like, ah! And all these mice do. They, they weaponize. They weaponize against their greatest they fear. They militarize. Yeah. Them. They fucking come to terms with the fact that that Lucifer has never been the real threat to them. They all pick up cutlery. They've got forks and knives, and they're like stabbing Dude, him. They just want Cinderella out of the house so that, to be free. The bur- they want her to go to the kingdom <laughs> so they're free of her like dark powers. That's true. Because yeah, they're not really. In the end, anyway, no. the birds come in, dude. They're like dropping pots and pans and plates on Lucifer. He doesn't give a shit, dude. Yeah. He's just like eating these hits, holding the ball over Gustav. Cinderella screams, "Get Bruno!" Get and these Bruno. birds like fucking fly down. The former man uh, who is now a horse again, like whinnies to wake up Bruno, the former man who's now a dog. Dude, Bruno, he's down there asleep, still recovering from the fact that he used to be a fucking human <laughs> and then having his consciousness ripped out of his body. But, you know, I guess he realises that the most important thing for him to do is chase a cat right now. Gotta say, though, this cat-mouse, like, dog-bird battle scene, pretty awesome. Yeah, it was good. Animal it was fighting, highly remake. It was something that actually, it was worth watching, yeah. you know? We sort of cut between this and, like, the Grand Duke, like... The slipper is like flipped up in the air, and the Grand Duke like makes his huge save and, and yep, grabs it because he's just like classic. continuing to crush it. Classic catch. We then have fucking Bruno like murdering Lucifer. Yeah, literally murdering Lucifer, like chomping, <laughs> chomping at this cat. The cat falls out the top of this tower window. And that's the last we see of the cat. Yeah, dude. I expected, like, we'd see the cat later, like, licking his paws or something, like, fucking with a dead. bandage or something. He's dead, dude. He kills Lucifer. I feel bad for Lucifer. Don't think he deserves to die. At which point, Cinderella finally, like, gets down to the bottom of the tower. Dude, how she... long have these idiots spent trying to that put these royal shoes... royal proclamation, dude, like... They've spent, like, 15 minutes per stepsister... Yeah. ...trying to put these shoes on these fucking feet, and just it not working. They have enough time for all that animal fight shit to happen after the mice got the key, which was already towards the end of the first stepsister trying on yeah. the shoe. So we're talking, like... Minutes of trying to fit a shoe on a foot, it doesn't fit well, in. Because the Grand Duke fucking like passes out. He's like so tired from checking out all the feet in the kingdom. He's just like he's exhausted. Anyway, Cinderella gets down there. She's, she's like, like, "It's I, me, yo, I'm here. Check me out." And like, you can tell the Grand Duke recognizes her in some yeah. way. He's like, Dude, "This could be it." He has a retractable monocle chain. Yeah, because he's holding his like monocle and he's looking at her, and then he's like, "My mind." He like drops it, and then it like. Like shoots like back up into its position on his chest, like the chain that it's on, like is on some kind of retractable pulley mechanism. Which <laughs> I like a lot. Retractable monocle is a fucking sick yeah, costume. Dude, that's piece. how you do all those yo-yo tricks. Yeah. Oh, nice, dude. It's like on a spring or something. And then, uh, as the Grand Duke heads over to like oh try the slip on Cinderella, stepmother's got one more trick up her sleeve and just trips she him makes over. A play, dude. The glass slipper shatters. The Grand Duke is fearing for his life and the life of his kingdom and the people that live there from this tyrant king. But then, not to worry, Cinderella thought about this, brought down the last glass slipper, and we see this up nostril shot of the stepmother. This, like, horrifying, like, music sting, like, upward shots you can see up her nose as her face pulls back in horror at the fact that Cinderella has this second fucking glass slipper. Followed by a close-up... Of this perfect shoe slipping onto a perfect foot. With toes. With, all, with toes now. She's grown the toes she needs. With like an almost like 
almost like a sound sting as it like clicks together. Like, yep. and then a fetish was born for an entire generation, dude. Yeah. Like, wow. It, it does feel like fundamentally like... Yeah, the perfect foot. The perfect foot, dude. Yep. So then there's a wedding. Yeah, they get, they get married after some weird foot shots. We're going to spend less time on it than they do in the movie, which is to say essentially none. Uh, they walk out of a church, they get in a carriage, they, they ride kiss, away. Happily ever after. The Literally end of the movie. it says, and then they lived happily ever after. No credits because they're at the start, yep. and that's the end yep, of the film. The, the, the DVD just ends. <laughs> Done. <laughs> and then they lived happily ever after. Black. Cut to black. Thanks for listening to Still Interested. We're going to be right back in a moment with some of our fun little uh, wrap-up games and trivia. But and for the post-show mo- roundup. Yeah, the post-show roundup. That's my favourite part of the show, I'm going to be honest. I really <laughs> love digging right into it. But uh, in the meantime, if you want to hear more about us, check us out uh, at... Uh, the website is curionetwork.com. You can get at us on Twitter. I'm Mr. BT McAllister. I'm at, at Jackson underscore Yusuf. Or the show at SI Curio Show. We're also on Twitter, like with the network, as at Curio Network. Yeah, we're on iTunes. We're on whatever podcast you're listening to us right now. We do other shows. We do like uh, HWLAID or How to Win Loot Influence Dragons, the, the D&D, D&D show. podcast. You should check it out. We have another show called Odds and Ends, which uh, our friend Grace from the D&D show um, was and doing. And producer and of we'll this very show. Yeah. Producer slash super fan. Yeah. Who will actually be joining us for the... Spoilers! Uh, for the next episode of The Cinderella. Oh my, so if you're a big Grace fan, tune in for that yeah, one. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. Anyway, tweet at us, Facebook us. We are always big fans of when you guys do that. We love yeah. to hear from you. If you've got ideas for like a, a film that we could reboot... Well, for a film that's been rebooted or remade, get at us and we might think about doing it. So, Jackson, shall we talk about MVPs? Please. All right. Who have you got? I'm going to run through mine real quick. Mm-hmm. And then LVPs. Well, my uh, my first one, and I, I, don't, I don't have very many because I think I really mm, struggled this with this devoid. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I had Gus, my first one, Me too. as MVP because, like, I think he just... He was really bringing some hope and freedom to the regime of the mind. That's true, yeah. For, my thing was him picking up the corn, yeah, knowing that he needed to. All that sweet, sweet corn. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got the king. And, yeah, following on from the king, I have the Grand Duke, who got a, a, a big nom from me. Mm-hmm. I've later got the entire mouse gang. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and um, the stepmother. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Who I think should be played by Jessica Walters in the remake. Ooh, that'd be fun. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So of those, what do we got? What are you thinking? I mean, I'll be brutally honest. Like, I I think the Grand Duke. Look, I didn't even have the Grand Duke, but you've convinced me. Yeah. Like over the course of your description of him as the only thing keeping this despot from dominating the world. But you look at it though, like he's just so frantically trying to like stay alive. Keep this dude calm, stay alive, and like like when he finds the Cinderella, he's so overjoyed and like yeah, there's just such desperation, no, and man. he's not like he's not portrayed as like a like a like a cowardly, sycophantic kind of advisor. No. Like he, his motivations simply must be to protect. And people. his monologue about like arguing against arranged marriage it's is true. the only sensible he, thing that happens in the film. That's true. He's the only sensible human being in the movie. So you know what? I'm with you. It's yeah. got to be the Grand Duke. Now let's talk LVPs really quick. I Unfortunately, my my boy Gus quick... also has to be in there. Yep, like, yep. 
for fucking up a lot, but also the fairy. I mean, yeah. she's just awful. She's untethered in her power and her age. Yeah, it's true. And she does some really, really awful things. Horrifying. Like, some really, truly unimaginable things. I do wonder if that whole thing about, like, the glass slippers... Has to mean something. Like, did she deliberately leave the slippers so there would be like a trace to find Cinderella? Yeah, it's a good question. Or is it that like it was all a trick, and that Mm. if she didn't run from true love, like if she just stood there and like watched the transformation happen, like like why did she? Yeah, and did she fail it? And in which case, even if she did fail it, should she be conducting that test? And should she be like transfiguring creatures into different species? No. That's true. No, the things she does are awful. Her magics are dark. Her dark and, and horrifying and ab- mm. abject. She should be cast out of the Mages College yeah. for performing these unholy experiments, frankly. And they for are. that, I feel like it has to be the fairy for all I think people. so. Okay, I'm glad we're agreed. Shall I tuck into some trivia? Hit me with it, dude. The transformation of Cinderella's torn dress to that of the white ball gown was, was considered to be Walt Disney's favourite piece of animation. That's interesting. Okay. I guess he just really loved it. Yeah. I think it's... I mean, it's part of his wizardry, I guess, but, like, it was... Yeah, I, I thought it was cool. <laughs> to save money when animating the pumpkin coach, the animators drew the coach to seemingly float on air so that they would not have to animate the turning wheels or the filigrees. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's so cheap. There's, there's a scene, like, in the film where, like, the, the, the coach is, like, moving through the city sort of thing, and that's what I was talking about in terms of, like, different art styles... Like, it just changes, and it just gets so relaxed. Yeah, it really is pretty lazy when it's moving fast. Mm. Excluding the initial prologue, explaining how the stepmother came into Cinderella's life, and closing wedding scene, the main story of the film takes place over approximately a 24-hour period. Cinderella starts a day with her chores, the princess balls that evening, and she successfully tries on the last slip of the following morning. Man, it makes you feel those 24 yeah, hours, dude. doesn't it? It really does. The prince is never called Prince Charming in the film, nor is he given any name. He's just the prince. And we're meant to think this is the greatest romance ever told. The greatest love story ever told. With one of the characters having no name. This is the first film to be worked on by all nine of the legendary nine old men of the Walt Disney Animation Department. (laughs) The nine old men. Now, I believe this is the first film they did. uh, But maybe like the third total. That is so horrifying because like like that the whole thing is that like yeah he used to work like like Walt Disney himself used to refer to them as like the nine old men like yep. the nine lead animators yep. for the company but it's so hard for them like oh yes the nine old men like <laughs> yeah you know those nine old oh, men god dude yeah, it's a pretty strange description let's just like fucking like like run through the names dude of these nine dudes okay as well. give them to me like these names I bet they're gonna be good Les Clark okay Mark Davis Mark, that's a pretty Mark normal name. um Ollie Johnston Pretty normal name. Milt Carl. Okay. <laughs> Ward Kimball. Okay. Eric Larson. John Lounsbury. Frank Thomas. And this one was not actually last on the list, but I saved it. Wolfgang Ritherman. Oh, man. That is a name. Yeah, dude. Wolfgang Ritherman. Oh, dude. This is fascinating. Apparently, in the original French story, the slippers are made of fur, which, in addition to being comfortable and practical, has a Freudian connotation in the context. The absurd concept of glass slippers is due to a long-ago typo, as the old-fashioned French words for fur and glass are near homonyms. Dude, they're literally meant to be fur slippers! And, like... (laughs) And metaphorically... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Something far more pronounced. Like, that is... 
Oh my god, like the perfect uh, fit, dude. Jesus Christ. All of the animal characters in Cinderella were written to speak. Major, the horse, had a song entitled Horse Sense, which she <laughs> sang with Bruno after being scolded <laughs> for growling at this. <laughs> dude, do you reckon that's where like, Bruce Willis got the name for? From, like, a, oh, he like, must as, have, dude. Like a singing persona? Yeah, he saw the cutscene. Get nice. Bruno, dude. Although it is often assumed that Lucifer falls to his death from the tower, he is regularly shown as being alive sometime later in various semi-official novelizations, storybooks, spin offs okay. and other promotional materials <laughs> made to provide epilogues to the characters after the movie ended. The logic of how he survived is never addressed directly, so fans have come up with their own theories. The most no. popular one, as per one popular bit of folklore, fallen cats have a proportionally improbable ability to fall from extreme heights and land standing without injury due to specialized muscular reflexes too as per another popular bit of folklore uh, cats have eight spare lives so it was Lucifer's feline privilege to be resurrected after his violent death three three as per a more recent bit of popular folklore his feline privilege yeah that's in here as per a more recent bit of popular folklore, Lucifer was protected from injury by his fat flesh, which provided <laughs> an insulating cushion against any bone breakage when he hit the ground. This is an archetypical staple of the 20th and 21st century cartoon portrayals of obese felines, the most famous being Jim Davis Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I've got some additional goofs for this film, which is kind of what I touched on before. Like these are ones I didn't bother including because they're all fan written, and I feel like a lot of these like IMDb fan written goofs are just things that like people have just like really yeah. misunderstood things mm. or just like gotten hung up on really strange things. <laughs> so okay, here's an example of one of them. As the king loses his temper over Cinderella disappearing after the ball, he accuses the duke of being in a plot with the prince. We never learn what this plot may be. Yeah. For what it's worth, zero of two found this interesting. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> someone's watching this and be like, did he just say a plot? What the fuck was he talking about? That doesn't make any fucking sense. There's no plots involved in this movie. That's stupid. A big problem with Disney's version of the story is that for all the Grand Duke knows, Lady Tremaine organised a scam to marry off her most attractive daughter to Prince Charming, thus making them all members of the royal family. Learning from the royal proclamation that any maiden whose foot fits a certain glass slipper will become a future queen, Lady Tremaine could have employed an artisan who spent all night making a near-perfect replica for Cinderella, then put the Grand Duke off guard with Drizella and Anastasia making fools of themselves, which led naturally to the genuine slipper being shattered, when in fact the stepmother delivered Trip the footman. With the Grand Duke thus suitably dismayed, Cinderella would then be able to produce the fake slipper, which of course perfectly fits her foot. This is a big problem in inverted commas. That is the most insane thing I've heard Dude, in my entire fucking life. Still Interested is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Ben McAllister and Jackson Usid. We are produced by me, Grace Chapel. Editing by Jackson Usid. Theme music is Anitra's Dance, composed by Edward Grieg. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at Curio Network and at SICurio Show. We'd love to hear from you if you've got thoughts about the show, so find us on Facebook or Twitter. If you like the show, think about giving us a rate and review on iTunes, or wherever you listen. It actually is really helpful. We've got other content on Curio, such as Alternands, 
where I talk with people about the mementos they've kept and the stories behind them. Or How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons, where we play D&D. Seriously, it's a lot of fun. Check it all out at curionetwork.com. We'll see you in two weeks.